So let me ask you a question. As we are in the midst of the Christmas season, I just y'all y'all kind of help me out for a minute. Tell me your favorite Christmas song. The, the song that when it comes on the radio that you think, man, that's my that's my favorite. That's the one I like, or that's the one that you find yourself singing to in the car. Maybe it's an old classic. Maybe it's something brand new. What's your favorite Christmas song? Okay, let's. That's, that's good. Y'all are participating. All right. Somebody, somebody by themselves. White Christmas. All right. Anybody else have a different one? The Christmas song. Look at that. Yeah, in unison there. Bob and Melissa. Wow. Which version do you like of the Christmas song? The Nat King Cole? Like, okay. What do you, Mark, is there a particular one you like of White Christmas? I like Elvis. All right. That's, you got to have Elvis's version of, he adds a little something, right? Anybody else? Favorite Christmas song? I did this on Wednesday night. And I, I, the person that said this will remain nameless because he's in the room and doesn't want to get in trouble with his wife. But um, somebody said Meli Kaliki Maka. Right? Anybody else? Justin Bieber Christmas, the whole album, right? <laughs> not, not just one little one, the whole album, right? Mariah Carey Christmas. Oh, holy night, right? What's that? I want a hippopotamus for Christmas, that old classic, right? Here's the reason I ask that, because I don't know whether you know this or not, but according to Billboard magazine, the biggest selling single, now some of, you know, that that used to be a big deal, having singles, you know, now it's just digital downloads, but the biggest selling single of all time is a Christmas song. Anybody want to guess what it is? Right, it wasn't very, very good segue to the sermon if it wasn't White Christmas, right? Bing Crosby's White Christmas is the biggest selling single of all time. It's also been recorded many, many times. And here's the reason I think people like it so much, even today. It's because it speaks to a nostalgic sense of what we think Christmas ought to be. Sitting at home with a fire in the fireplace, whether we have one or not. Now you just put on Netflix and put the fire movie on, right? Sitting there with fire, with hot chocolate or coffee in your hand, and presents around the tree that kids haven't disturbed at all, and ornaments and everything decorated perfectly, and you look outside, and as pianos are slowly playing Christmas carols, snow is just gently falling on the ground, right? That nostalgic feeling. And we like it partially because of the clean feeling, the fresh feeling, the newness that is there. We started talking last week about the desire that we have for this new life, this new understanding, this white Christmas in our own lives. And the question becomes, what would it take this year for a fresh start, for a new beginning for something to happen that we hadn't anticipated or known last week we started with a pretty difficult task and that was that we were going to have a fresh start a new beginning a white christmas by learning to forgive those people that need forgiveness and we use this as our um kind of our theme verse all right and it comes from Isaiah chapter 1, and it says, Come, 
This is God talking to His people. Let's settle this. The, the idea there is, let's take care of this. Let's get this out of the way. Let's don't go another Christmas. Let's don't go another week. Let's don't go another day. Let's don't go another month. Let's settle this. Let's get out of the way. Let's, let's just put it on the table and take care of it. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. If only you will obey. Now, now this verse isn't specifically talking about forgiveness, but the idea there is that obedience is what leads to a fresh start, a new beginning. And the truth is, forgiveness is one of our most difficult tasks, and oftentimes it's something that we have a hard time doing. Let me let you in a little secret here. The word obey implies that we don't want to do it in the first place. I don't have any problem getting my kids to do things they already want to do. Right? If I say, hey, I need you to do this, and it is something they want to do, it, it's fine. But when I ask them to do something they don't want to do, you know what word I use sometimes is? You just need to obey. Well, God looks at us and says, listen, I'm about to tell you some things, and you're not going to want to do them. You are not going to say, man, that is exactly what I was hoping you would say. That's what I want to do. I'm excited about this. This is going to be stuff that you do because you're supposed to. This is one of our cases where we let our actions lead and our feelings follow, not the other way around. And so last week, if you were here, and we're just going to review for a second because I want to remind you how difficult this is. We talked about the fact that we've been offended, that we've been hurt, that somebody has done something to us, that the Scripture gives us three things we need to do for them, to them, about them. And the first thing is, we need to pray for them. To go to the Lord, say, this is what's going on. I don't like it, Lord. I'm not happy about it. I'm not glad what they did. I feel hurt. I feel betrayed. I feel offended. I don't like what's happening. Lord, can you help me through this? And as you begin to pray for them, oftentimes our attitudes, our desires, our understandings will soften about the person. So we pray for them. And then second, anybody remember what the second one was? Of course you do. You all remember, right? You just don't want to say it. All right. Bless them. Remember what blessed means? To speak well of. In private, in public, around people, when you're not around people, to say nice things about them, to not pile on, to not bring up the bad stuff, but to speak well of those. Now remember, we're talking about people who have offended you, who have hurt you, who have betrayed you, that have done things to you. You speak well of them. You bless them. And then the last thing was you do good to them. Specific, intentional acts. Now here's the thing. Some of you heard that last week and it was gone before you left the room. Some of you thought about it and remember last week I asked you to have somebody on your list, a number one on your list that were people that you needed to forgive. And you walked out of here and you thought, I need to do some things. I need to take some care of some things. And some things just happened through the week. And in fact, as you thought more about it, you thought, I don't want to do it. Some of you weren't here last week and you think you got a pass. Well, you're here today. And here's the truth. It's not easy. 
Nothing in our natural inclination says, when someone offends me, when someone hurts me, when someone does something to me that is offensive or hurtful, that I want to pray for them, I want to bless them, I want to do good to them. Nothing in our natural being says that. But that's why Scripture calls us to obey. Because even though it's not easy and it doesn't feel natural, it's God's command. And some of you say, but pastor... You don't understand what's happened to me. And that may be true. Here's what I do know. All of us get offended. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, he said that many people, in fact, in Matthew chapter 24, he says, and then many people will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. He's talking about as he leaves and as the world begins to take over and this conflict continues and as we move towards a final time, he says many. Now, anybody know what many means there? It means many, all right? Most. Almost all. And then it says there will be offended. That word is actually interesting because that word in the original Greek is the word scandalon. Does anybody know what word we get from scandalon? Scandal, right? popular TV show goes all the way back to Matthew chapter 24. Scandal here means, the offended here means, and this is what it actually means, which is kind of interesting. It means to be caught up in someone else's problem that is directed towards you that entraps you. It's when someone does something to you and in doing so it becomes so hurtful to you that you are entrapped by it. You are snagged by it. And it begins to wear you down. In another place in Luke 17, Jesus says, in fact, to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. So basically, he says, every one of us are going to have things that offend us in our life. And here's the thing that I realize. It's not easy to say that I want to forgive or I want to move past that. There is some... There is some um, kind of pleasure, sinister pleasure in holding on to those things. And the truth is, some offenses seem worse than others. Proverbs 18 says, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city, and disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. Now, fortified city, in the time of Proverbs, what did that mean? What did it mean? It meant... A wall, right? That a city would be built and they would fortify the city by building a wall around it so no one could get in. And the problem is your own life. When you build a wall around your life so that no one can get in, guess what? No one can get in. And as you build that wall around you and you don't let people in, then you, you hurt. And you go at it alone. And without people in, you begin to build more walls and you get more isolated. And before long, you've allowed someone that hurts you to build walls from your entire life. And you have moved yourself away from compassion and love and support that you need. Now, at Christmas, we have a couple of great examples of that. One is a guy that moves up on a mountain at Christmas times, comes down and steals the Christmas from everybody. Right? Who's that? The Grinch, right? He's a mean one. His, his heart has shrunk. He's isolated himself, right? I won't ask who the Grinch is in your life, all right? We won't talk about that. 
But right, he isolates himself. He didn't want to be around people. Now, here's the interesting thing about Grinch. When he finally kind of comes down and people, like through Cindy Lou Who and all of Whoville, right? One of my favorite lines. And his heart grew three sizes that day. If, if children's books and Jim Carrey movies aren't your favorite thing, then go back a little farther to more classic literature and a guy that has a business partner that dies and decides to shut himself off and he's terrible to his employees, doesn't want to celebrate any kind of Christmas and walks around saying humbug. Who's that? Scrooge, right? He walls himself off from people and it's a miserable experience. Now, now I would say that many of us, I would hope, most of us would not be in a situation where we're living on a mountain and dressed in a green suit and we don't want to be around people. Or we have to be visited by three ghosts in order to let our hearts be open. But there are people oftentimes in our lives that because of hurt, we have built walls around. And sometimes even when someone hurts us, you say things like, I won't let anybody hurt me like that again. And you wall yourself off from many people instead of just that person. I was thinking this week in particular about five ways that people hurt us that that make us put those walls up, that make us build those bricks, those walls around us. First of all, I thought about that the offense is more difficult when we're offended by being betrayed. You know what betrayal is, right? Somebody you love, somebody that you care about, somebody you think is your friend, that seems to maliciously do something to you, against you. This isn't just somebody made a mistake. This seems intentional. This seems as if someone you cared about has decided they no longer value you and they're out to hurt you. A coworker, a friend, family, spouse, children, or parents. It's especially difficult. And I, I just, I don't want to forgive. They betrayed me. I put my trust in them. It's also particularly difficult when we're falsely accused. I'm going to tell you, this one I do not deal with very well. When people assume motivations or my heart or something's going on, or they make statements that just aren't true, and they tell other people or they propagate it or they make statements to me or to other people, and they're just not true or they pretend to think they know what's happening and they don't and they say things it's hard right sometimes we're offended when we're it's harder when we're rejected this isn't somebody does something malicious to us it's just they don't even really respond we put ourselves out there we attempt something we try something and it just seems like it falls flat we write a note and say check yes or no when they mark no. We're going through something and we think, boy, I really wish so-and-so were with me right now and we thought they would be and they're not. It's especially hard when people have been abused. And I mean here in the sense of the word that abuse is meant. Emotionally abused. Physically abused psychologically abused, verbally abused. Now, maybe you've had someone in your past that has done that to you. And I don't want to forgive them. 
I don't think there's any way I can forgive them. It's also particularly difficult when we've been humiliated, embarrassed. Someone says something in public while we're standing there and we are trying to find anything we can to hide under because we don't want to be exposed like that. Someone posts something online, a picture or a thought or a quote. We try everything we can to get it off and erase it, even though it's out there for the world to see. You say, Pastor, I, <laughs> I heard last week, pray for them, bless them, do good to them. That all sounds great, but my situation, I don't want to. It's too fresh, it's too deep, it's too real, it's too severe. I mean, I was betrayed, falsely accused and rejected and abused, humiliated. And here's where we're going with this. I want to take you today to one thought that I think could revolutionize the way you think about forgiveness. But to get there, I want us first to travel through these same five steps in the life of the one who we celebrate at Christmas. Because those steps weren't in random order. In fact, when you think about the life of Jesus in his last 24 hours, he faced every one of those, right? What was the first one? He was betrayed. Who betrayed Jesus? Judas, right? Who was Judas? He's the bad guy, right? Who was he to Jesus before he betrayed him? He was one of the 12 closest friends Jesus had. Now, anybody know his job with the disciples? He was the treasurer. Do you generally trust the money to somebody you don't trust? Your money. Do you usually say, hey, I don't trust them at all. Let them handle the money. No. Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends, someone that had walked with him for three and a half years, seen him perform miracle after miracle, give sermon after sermon, talk like nobody else had talked, miraculous things, walk on water, make bread and fish into enough to feed thousands. One of his closest friends kissed him on the cheek and turned him over to the authorities. More than just wasn't there at the moment. He literally did harm to Jesus by turning him over to the authorities. What was the next one? Betrayed, falsely accused. Jesus get falsely accused? Yeah, I mean, he was killed. We believe, I believe, and I think Scripture obviously teaches this, that he lived a perfect life. If you lived a perfect life, any accusation is, guess what? A false accusation. He was falsely accused. What about rejected? Who rejected him? He rejected Jesus. Besides Judas, Peter did, right? They all did, basically, except for John. John's the only one we see still singing around. But Peter, the leader of the disciples, gets asked three times on the night Jesus is arrested and crucified, do you know them? And he says three times, no, I don't know him. In fact, the last time it says that he starts using words you're not supposed to use. Was he abused? Physically assaulted, beaten, lashes to the back that would have exposed his skin, that would have exposed things under his skin to the elements, spat upon, verbally assaulted. He was abused. 
And then he was humiliated. Most scholars believe that when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he would have been completely naked. This is the Son of God, the one that spoke and the world came into existence, the Word become flesh, who is hanging on a tree, abused, beaten, spat upon, naked for the world to see. And as he's on the cross, it says that he looks down on the people that are there. And one of the last things he says is, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Hey, listen. I don't want to minimize any situation in this room. There are difficult situations of forgiveness that need to happen in your life. And I don't want to minimize the hurt or the realness or the depth in any way. But here's the truth. If anybody had reason not to forgive at a moment, it was Jesus on that cross. Here's what Hebrews says about that cross. And this is just amazing to me. That tells us part of the reason he went through that cross was this. He said he had to be like his brothers. Who are his brothers? Us. According to Hebrews, it's talking about us. That's brothers and sisters. If you prefer that, it's us. In every way. So that, this is the reason, he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of people. It says he had to pay for our sins. He had to be like us in every way except for sin to pay for our sins so that sin could come upon him. But he also had to be like us in every way. And it tells us this, that so that right now he is sitting beside the Father. He is standing there with him. One of the jobs that Jesus has at this moment is to be an interceder for us, to be a, a, a go-between for us, to be an arbitrator for us. And part of what he is saying is, no, no, that... That is tough. And I know what you're going through. I've been there. One of your best friends betrays you. I've been there. Somebody's been verbally abusive to you. I've been there. You've been embarrassed beyond what you think you can stand. I've been there. And the thing is that Jesus can say that because he has been. The rest of that verse says this. For since he himself was tested and has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. He can help us through any situation. 1 Peter 4.1 says this, Since Christ suffered in the flesh, we ought to have the same resolve, mindset, attitude, because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin. So basically it says, think of Jesus on the cross and what he has suffered and what he has gone through. And in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your offense, in the midst of being wronged by people, have the same mindset, which is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Three things that will help you with that and then we're done. All right? Three things that will help you to see through the eyes of Jesus. First of all, we have to remember that we need forgiveness too. We talked about that last week, right? Remember the parable, those of you that were here? We talked about the parable where the guy comes in and he owes a guy about $9.7 billion and the guy says, all right, you got to pay it. And he says, I can't pay it. And he says, you got to pay it. I'm going to throw you in jail, sell everything to your wife. And he goes, no, no, please, please, please don't do that. Please don't do that. I can't pay it. I don't want it. I can't. I'll do whatever I can. And the guy says, you're forgiven. That guy walks out, sees some other people. Somebody owes him some money, just a few thousand, fifteen. 20,000 says, hey, you owe me some money. The guy says, I can't pay it. He says, too bad, you're going to jail. Please don't put me in jail. No, you're going to jail. 
Jesus comes back into that parable and he says this. He says, if you can't recognize what you've been forgiven and forgive somebody else, then question whether or not you've been forgiven. All that to say this. No matter what has happened in your life, no matter what wrong has been done to you, you will never have to forgive somebody more than God has already forgiven you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ that has accepted that gift of forgiveness, you will never have to forgive a single person more than God has already forgiven you. Romans 3.23, if you grew up running, learning the Roman road in church, you know this. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Secondly, refocus on the real enemy. What I love about Jesus in that moment on the cross is as he's sitting there and he looks down, he realizes these are not the real enemy. In fact, in the midst of his death, he was accomplishing a victory against the real enemy that those people and even the enemy couldn't understand. In giving his life as a sacrifice, he was participating in winning the spiritual war that was going on. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we must continually remember that people are not our enemies, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and those things in the heavenly realms, we must say, that person's not my enemy. In fact, the offender is a victim as well as I. And as Jesus looks down on those people, He thinks they don't know what they're doing. Now, you could say, oh, they knew exactly what they were doing. In fact, they were really good at doing what they were doing. The Jewish people that had been leadership that got Him crucified, the Roman guards that had done the task, they knew what they were doing. They knew exactly what they were doing. But Jesus says, no, there is something bigger at play here. There's something greater at play here. And they don't realize what is happening in the scheme of eternity here. On the cross... Jesus is focusing on defeating the real enemy. And here's the last thing. We're going to talk about this extended next week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. You've got to receive God's love yourself. Receiving the love of God gives us the capacity to love and forgive other people. Now, here's the deal. I told you last week, it wasn't going to be easy. I told you again today, it's not going to be easy. To be, obey something means to do something in spite of the fact that I don't want to do it. But here's my question. Who's number one on that list? The offender list, the one that has hurt you list, the one I need to forgive list. Who's at the top of that list and what are you going to do about it? Well, I don't want to do anything. I didn't ask you what you wanted to do about it. Are you going to be obedient? You're going to look at them through the eyes of the Lord, realizing that they need forgiveness. So did I. There's an enemy behind them that is deceiving them, that is not part of our battle. And because of the love that God has for me, I need to give it back out. You see, I almost should have swapped these two sermons. Because my guess is that you're not going to pray for them, bless them, or do good to them until you get to a place where you see them as Jesus saw those below him on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. When your heart is stirred to love and compassion and forgiveness, you will not even begin to take the other steps. But the truth is, Scripture teaches us that sometimes they go hand in hand, and sometimes we have to start the action before the heart change occurs. So I'm asking you today, are you going to be obedient? And are you going to forgive? 
Let's pray.